0: Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. It's Tuesday, October 3rd. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. St. Louis officials started but eventually ended an overnight attempt to clear an encampment of people who are homeless in front of City Hall. Officials cite several factors, including the number of police calls to the area, as the reason for moving in. One person staying at the encampment calls Mayor Tashara Jones heartless.
1: I mean, how does she sleep at night? How does she lay her head down in her bed, sleep at night, after watching this all day long? And all we're doing is fighting for housing. We just want to be treated like humans.
0: The attempt came hours after members of the Board of Aldermen announced plans to introduce a so-called unhoused Bill of Rights. Several living at the encampment shouted down city officials who were We're trying to clear the area. Officials eventually decided to delay the effort until a later date. 14th Ward Alderman Rasheen Aldridge says the timing for such a move by the city was wrong.
1: The same day that we talk about working on legislation to uh, improve the quality of life for our unhoused people in the city of St. Louis, uh, we're doing a a legal eviction. It's sending a big, like, oh well, slap, F you.
0: The mayor's office says fights, drug overdoses, medical emergencies, and 50 police calls over the last month and a half prompted the hours-long clearance attempt. People have been sleeping in tents outside Mayor Tashara Jones' office for months. As the mayor contemplates the city's next move for the encampment, she is also taking steps to address problems at the city justice center. Jones is calling for a chief medical officer to oversee medical services at the jail. The announcement comes after the weekend death of a detainee. The mayor says the new position follows other steps the city has taken to improve conditions at the center. Most of Missouri's congressional delegation voted for a spending plan averting a government shutdown. But as St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum reports, there was a notable difference of opinion between Missouri's two senators. Out of the eight Missouri members of the U.S. House of Representatives, seven voted for a bill that keeps the government funded. And GOP Senator Josh Hawley also voted for the measure. But Missouri Senator Eric Schmidt was one of eight senators to vote against the spending plan. The GOP senator said he wanted individual appropriation bills, not a single one that funded the federal government. Republican Congressman Eric Burleson of Springfield also voted against the proposal for a similar reason, adding that it remains to be seen if Congress can pass appropriation bills in the coming weeks. The spending plan expires in mid-November, setting up a new deadline before the government runs out of money. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. St. Louis Public Radio. Illinois' congressional delegation was split on the package. The three House Republicans from the state voted against it, along with one Democrat. The state's senators, both Democrats, voted for the legislation. Illinois residents can now register their assault-style weapons as required by law. Alex Degman reports. It's part of the new Protect Illinois Communities Act, which survived a state Supreme Court challenge in August. The ban prohibits the sale of certain types of assault weapons, 50-caliber rifles, 50-caliber cartridges, and other weapon attachments. But if you owned a banned item before the law took effect, you can keep it by registering with the Illinois State Police by January 1st. People who own large-capacity ammunition feeding devices do not have to register those. Opponents of the state's assault weapons ban contend it violates the Constitution's Second Amendment— and they vow to challenge it in federal courts. I'm Alex Degman. The Environmental Protection Agency is opening a 10-month program to teach Metro East residents how to help solve environmental challenges. Participants in the Environmental Justice Academy can learn how to engage lawmakers about cleanup efforts and public health threats. They can also learn how to apply for EPA grants. Alexa Burnett is a life scientist for EPA's Region 5.
1: We want people to leave this feeling ready to work, to go apply for grants, and to have the tools and resources they need to really make some concrete change in their community.
0: Academy applications are available at the EPA's website, epa.gov. Tourism in southwest Illinois broke records last year. St. Louis Public Radio's Will Bauer reports it rebounded in the metro east and exceeded pre-pandemic totals.
1: Last year, the six counties represented by the Great Rivers and Routes Tourism Bureau based in Alton saw $825 million from local tourism. That includes Calhoun, Green, Jersey, Macoupin, Madison, and Montgomery counties. Corey Jobe is the CEO of Great Rivers and Routes.
2: Having the Great River Road, the Mississippi River, the confluence of our three rivers, the Illinois, Missouri, and Mississippi, We continue to see a healthy growth in visitors coming to our outdoor, recreation, uh, nature-based tourism sites.
1: The region's tourism growth reflects a statewide trend. Illinois also broke its hotel revenue record last fiscal year. I'm Will Bauer, St. Louis Public Radio.
0: Fields Foods locations popped up around St. Louis in the past decade, promising to bring healthier options to parts of the region without quality grocery stores. Now, the local grocer's future is in question with all locations currently closed. St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt spoke with Washington University marketing professor Raphael Tomatson about some of the business challenges the company faced.
2: I think one issue Fields Foods had is it's not clear that the product that they were offering really matched the areas they were moving into,
1: as noble as the cause was. Can you explain a little bit of the economics of grocery stores? What makes them unique businesses to run?
2: Grocery stores are a very low-margin business. It's a pretty competitive industry. There's a lot of different stores filling in a lot of different niches. You have the healthy niche with like Whole Foods. You have the dollar stores that have smaller assortment, but usually at a little bit of a cheaper price. And then you have kind of the conventional grocery stores in between. And many of the products within each of those tiers are very similar to each other. So it's very competitive. And so there's only a few ways you can get competitive advantage. One is to have a lot of stores in the area to get economies of scale. Another is to kind of cut back on the amount of variety you offer, because managing more products is more expensive than managing fewer products. What makes bringing
1: healthy food into food deserts or lower income or impoverished areas difficult?
2: To begin with, there's a issue of kind of demand and supply, and many of these areas that don't have grocery stores just don't have very much Demand, and you add on top of it that grocery stores are typically a fairly low-margin business, it can be very hard to run a grocery store to begin with. When you say demand, what does that mean? Uh, when I say demand, what I really mean is, are there enough people in the local area who want healthier foods, for example, who want bigger variety of foods, to support the cost of providing those additional
1: products. What I hear from that is demand isn't necessarily somebody stepping up and saying what they want or what they need, but actually how they end up spending their money.
2: That's exactly right. It's about how people spend the money. So sometimes people want things, but they don't want to pay for it, which, by the way, is a true preference, (laughs) but unfortunately not an economically viable one. Part of the problem of capitalism is that in many aspects we're really beholden to kind of where the mass of consumers are and there's always going to be some people who want healthier foods and who want more variety, but if not enough people are willing to kind of pay the prices that are needed to support those additional options, then unfortunately it's not economically viable what are some of the
1: challenges or considerations to make when trying to maintain that business moving forward? Because that's the second part of this equation on top of opening
2: up a place. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mistake that policymakers can make trying to focus on opening the stores. Really, the problem of economics is long-term profits. Is there enough demand to offset the costs, which are very high costs, In the end of the day, we don't really want to come hard on people who are trying out new things in our economy. We see businesses fail all the time. I think that's a good sign because if you don't have failure, you don't have innovation, you don't have people trying things. Maybe the next time around, the next grocery
1: store that opens up will take this as an example and say here's how we're going to be different this time, and we're going to learn from what has happened in the past.
2: Yeah, I do hope it's a lesson. Instead of kind of thinking that they did harm, I certainly think that we should applaud them for trying to do something good for the community and hope that the next person also steps up and tries things.
0: That was St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt speaking with Washington University marketing professor Raphael Tomatson about the closing of Fields Foods stores. A big thanks as well today to our Brian Heffernan, Brian Munoz, and Jonathan all for their work on St. Louis's attempt to clear the encampment at City Hall. The Gateway is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt.